spent a, a wonderful time this morning in worship, uh, whether that's in the word of the reading of the scriptures, being called to worship, singing together as a congregation, lifting our voices in one accord the scriptures speak of, giving to you, Lord, you're worthy of it. It's, those dollars uh, help this ministry right here run, and it supports those ministries that we've just spoken about overseas. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can participate you, with you in our giving. But now, Lord, we turn to the Word of God. This is our lifeline. These are your words, Lord. And these are what strengthen us and encourage us, Lord. Lift us up in those troubling times. It reminds us of, of who you are and what you have accomplished. And Lord, these are words that are not just changed with the times and the seasons and the, and the cultures of life here on earth. These are your words. They are unchanging. They are forever right. They are infallible and authoritative. They are inerrant, Lord. And so Lord, we now turn our attention to your word. It's worth listening to. It's life-changing. And so, Lord, we ask that you would encourage us through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. As I began to study this next little section that Pastor Rick read for us um, about the middle of the day yesterday, as I was wrapping this up, I thought, well, there's no way I'm going to get to 13 and 14. Um, I know that's not a surprise to some of you. Um, but I really enjoyed this chapter 16. There's so many little nuggets of truth here. And for me, there's a lot of great reminders of my own calling in ministry and how the Lord used his work in my life to draw me into ministry. And in these texts, these closing texts, we see a lot of men, particularly men who are called to the ministry, serving and not always serving in easy spots. And we get to watch their lives through this text and learn from them. It was 39 years ago this month that I made a phone call. I called a man named Jerry Boyle. He was my first real mentor. He was a basketball and baseball coach to me in high school. I'd gone off to college for a year and came back and started at Bible college. And I knew that I needed to be with someone who wanted to see people get saved. I knew I needed to get with someone who would go to the people and and care for their souls, and preach the truth, and, and so I called him up one day, and I said, Jerry, I don't know where you go on Sundays, and what you do, but can I come with you? He had had such an impact in my life. At that moment, I left the established church. It was a very well-attended, bigger church, and I began to go with Jerry every Sunday to the, some of the most remotest parts of Northern California as he was planting churches in very rural areas. Over time, I learned to submit to Jerry and his leadership. And whatever he asked me to do, I did. I learned to say, I'm not going to question him. This man loves the Lord. He loves me. I'm going to just do what he tells me to do. And he would send me and do all kinds of things. We were sometimes sent to help other churches that were struggling. We were sent to camp, to direct camp for three years. We, we were sent to youth ministries and basketball camp, all kinds of things often sent to go carry the message of the gospel, and I joined it. It was not always easy task. There was other things I wanted to do. <laughs> I believed God had called me into the ministry, and I had wanted to fulfill that calling. And, and sometimes as a young man, you think you got that all figured out, but... God has a different plan. And so I learned to submit to him. I knew he loved Christ. I knew he loved his word. And I knew he loved people uniquely. And I wanted to be like him. 
I wanted to follow him. And I told him, I said, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. And he actually took us there out into the edge of Nevada, California, on the border. And that's where we ended up for many years. Uh, we always said, no, it's not the end of the earth, but you can see it from here. That's where we lived. But he had true character. There was, there was an amazing man who loved the Lord and loved his word and loved his people. And I began to fall into this real Paul-Timothy type of relationship with him. He cared for my soul. He knew my weaknesses. He, helped trying to, he was always trying to help strengthen those. He knew God had a calling on my life, and I was going to fulfill it. But he was there to guide me along. I would not be here today if it wasn't for God putting him in my life. I'm very grateful for him. When I come to passages like this, I'm reminded of that. Getting sent somewhere. You're not going to be with me for a while. Now you're going to go over here to this little mountain town that's struggling with marijuana groves and drug infestations and all kinds of problems. Nobody works there. It's a difficult spot, but there's a pastor there, and he needs your help. You're going to go there, and you're going to serve the Lord for a while. And you go, okay, that's where we're going to go. And when I read this, as Timothy is sent and and coming to do things and to serve a difficult church in some ways of Corinth, I remind, it reminds me of my upbringing in the ministry, and I find a lot of joy as I studied this. And I want to share some of these thoughts, particularly as we break down these uh, first three verses here to this morning. And then, oh, next week, oh, man, verse 13 and 14, five imperatives he gives. And I, I want to hold it for next week because I, I know I can't do it justice uh, this morning with trying to get through these other three verses. But I want to just give you just a commercial for it. It is five imperatives to fix that church in Corinth. And there are five imperatives to, uh, for any Christian that calls himself a Christian, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those five you see in verse 13 and 14 are just excellent. And we're going to spend time with each one of those imperatives and we'll tackle that next week. But this morning, let's look at just a couple of thoughts. One, sending and receiving the Lord's humble and dedicated workers. Sending and receiving the Lord's humble and dedicated workers. I don't know if you thought much about that. What does it take to send somebody out? If you're going to plant a church, if you're going to send missionaries overseas, what does that take? What is, how does that happen? Does somebody just say, well, I want to go do this, and he just goes, and you just slap them on the back and say, good luck? How, how does that work? And how do you deal with difficult ministries that need help and there's some, there's some brokenness there and you've got to get involved with that? What does that look like? Well, these verses start to help us understand these things. Look at verse 10 with me. Now, if Timothy comes, and notice it's important. Words are important. God's word, every jot and tittle of it is the Lord. So we, we break these things down. Now, if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid. For he is doing the Lord's work, as I also am. Well, it's clear Timothy has become Paul's right-hand man. He is one of probably several, but probably more mentioned than any of the others is Timothy. He's extremely trustworthy. That's something you know about a church planter or a missionary or somebody in the ministry. They, they must be extremely trustworthy. You can trust them with your monies. You can trust them with your children. You can trust them particularly with the gospel. And Timothy was dedicated to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is the first time Paul has mentioned Timothy in this particular letter. If you just look at chapter 4, verse 17, he is again telling them that Timothy's going to come. 
He says, therefore, in verse 16, I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy. Timothy's on the way. This is what we start to understand. He's not there yet. He hasn't, and he's not carrying that letter. I'll talk about that in a minute. He's on the way to them. And he says, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord? Let me tell you, when you get into ministry and you're serving the Lord with other men and women, you get in the trenches of ministry, the hard things, the good things, the difficulties, you become family. And that's how Paul looked at Timothy. This was a son that maybe he never had or sons that maybe he was never allowed to get to. Timothy becomes that beloved child. That means he loved him like his own son. And you notice he says that his characteristic in verse 17 is he's faithful. You want to serve the Lord? You've got to be faithful. You've got to be faithful. It's one of the hard things we have in ministry. People say, oh, I want to serve the Lord, and yet they don't show up. <laughs> or they don't study themselves. They're not prepared. They're always relying on somebody else to do the work of the ministry, but they're there to get some credit or something like that. No, faithful people is what God's looking for. That's the way ministries run. They're built on faithfulness. And Paul says, this is my beloved and faithful child and Lord And he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. That means he shares the same doctrine. Built on Christ alone. Just what I taught you, he's going to teach you. There's no deviant to that. There's no different direction. Christ is it. And they shared that together. Notice he says, just as I teach everywhere in every church. There's no, no variant of the gospel. It is the same truth. Look at Philippians chapter 2, probably my most favorite statement about Timothy from the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter 2, and you get the idea, he has been with Paul, but Paul has got him to a point in the ministry where he can trust him, and he's sending him often to different places. Now we are talking about the town or in the church of Philippi. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 down through 22 But I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly. He's a man, right? He's the man that Paul says, when there's something to be done, I want to use this guy. I can trust him. I want to send him. And so we've already seen that with Corinth. Now he's saying, look, I want to send you to Philippi so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. That's an interesting statement. Paul says, I want to send him there. I can trust him. He's my beloved son in the ministry and in the faith. And I want him to come back and tell me what's going on in Philippi. I believe him. Verse 20, for I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. That's pastor. It's pastor Timothy. He cares for the souls of people. Paul says, I don't have anybody like him. He, he cares for your welfare. He cares about your soul. He cares about your life. And I need to hear from him. Verse 21, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ. Now, we don't know who those all were, but doubtlessly, as Paul's already explained earlier that in chapter 1, that there was people out there preaching the gospel for their own good. And Paul finally says, well, I'm just glad they're preaching the gospel. But here he's saying, that's not Timothy. Timothy's not on his own program, doing his own thing. He cares about souls. And that's why I'm sending it to you. Verse 22, but you know of his proven worth. That's an important word. Elders have to have a proven character. Not just a character talked about, 
They have to be a proven character, and Timothy's a good model of that. He has a proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Oh, it just gives me great memories of gathering up boys early in the morning and heading to church or heading to a ministry, just taking them alongside me. And, that, and they said, Dad, what are we doing today? And here, this was Timothy. Dad, what are we doing? Spiritual father, what are we doing today? How are we going to serve the Lord? This was the attitude that Timothy had. One of the things that you begin as you turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10, is you begin to well understand that Paul loved working with other men. There was a plurality of men that he oversaw these churches with. He cared for men who cared for the furtherance of the gospel. He was about that. And we see that he saw it as a privilege to spread out um, what we call, in this church, but I, I, we got it from him, is this division of labor. Titus is going there. Timothy's going there. Um, other men were going to help in this area. He, he spread that work out of this birth of the church that was spreading across the known world to many men. He was a great team player. And we often find men of elder qualities and character traveling with Apostle Paul. He surrounded himself with these kind of men in order to carry out this ministry of the gospel. Now, where's Timothy at? The Bible says here in verse 10, now if Timothy comes... So where's he at right now? Well, Acts chapter 19, verse 22 says that Paul sent him to Macedonia, and then he's going to go. So uh, Paul's over in Ephesus. He'd go up and around. He would get into Macedonia, which would have uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, uh, those kind of churches there. And then he would drop all the way down, a long trip, all the way down to Corinth. So Timothy's somewhere in that process. Now in verse 10, notice he says, if. And this tells us that Paul's uncertain of the time of his arrival. He doesn't know. And that day it wasn't like you jumped on a flight, you know. Timothy, it seems Timothy walks a lot and Paul sails a lot. I don't know why, but Timothy seems to be going on land. Paul often uses sea to cross. Remember, he was shipwrecked three times. But at first thought, when you see this, you may think that Timothy was carrying the letter here. But, but uh, uh, Timothy's not carrying this letter. This letter is going to arrive before Timothy gets there. He's on his way to Macedonia. And we, we know in chapter 1 that Sothenus was carrying this letter, most likely. And, and, we know, and we know that he's in this process. And by the time he writes the second inspired letter, a few years later, Timothy is back with the Apostle Paul, chapter 1, verse 1 of, of 2 Corinthians. Now... I think what's interested here is we come to this interesting phrase, and you got to look at this. See that he, that's Timothy, is with you without cause to be afraid. Now, now again, there's an imperative verb in the main structure here. And he's instructing the Corinthians on how they're to receive Timothy. He is to be received with respect and not intimidation. The Corinth church was intimidators. It was one of their sinful habits. They intimidated people. They were rough. They were mean. They were not broken by the glory of Christ. They saw themselves head and shoulders above other people. So Paul warns them. Look, if Timothy gets there, you don't give him cause to be afraid of you. You treat him with respect. And so why why would this be? Um, Well, one, Timothy's age maybe. It is believed that Timothy started in ministry with Paul somewhere around the age 15. We know that he's pastoring the church in Ephesus, Paul's church plant there, years after Paul 
planted that, but now begins to have problems. So Paul sends Timothy to Ephesus, and we know he's somewhere around the age of 30 when he does that. So here, as he's going to Macedonia and he's making his way to Corinth, we think he's somewhere in his 20s. I think that might be intimidating. You're 20 years old, and God's sending you to the most difficult church on the planet. That would be hard. And so Paul's trying to grease the landing for him a little bit. It's almost a little bit of an apostolic threat. Hey, don't make him have a cause for fear. Cause him to be respected. I think the years spent with the Apostle Paul had made Timothy wiser, and and he was a sharp young man, and yet there were struggles in his own life, just personality traits that he struggled with. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. Starting in verse 6, we get into this incredible instruction to someone who desires to serve the Lord. And I don't have time to read all that and drop all the way down to verse 12 with me. And we kind of pick up here where this could be an issue. This could have been what Timothy was afraid of, even here. Now, he's in Ephesus when this is written. But as he's writing to the Corinth church, he says, don't give him cause for fear. Now, maybe one of the reasons is, verse 12, let no one look down on your youthfulness. He's a young guy. But there are some young guys who are old in their young age. They're much more mature, and I think Timothy was one of those men. And notice what Paul just doesn't say. Don't look them, look down on your youth. He gives them a solution. Well, how do, you, how do you not have somebody look at you in your youth if you're really young and most of the church is older than you and you're there to tell them what God's word says? How do you do that? He gives them a prescription for this. He tells Timothy this. But rather, instead of having them look on your youthfulness, here's what you're going to do. Show them your godliness in your speech. Show them in your conduct. Show them in your love. Show them in your faith. Show them in your purity. Show yourself as an example of those who believe. See, it doesn't matter the age when God calls someone. Can they live out the characteristics of Christ in a consistent way as they strive to share the gospel? And Paul says, yes, they're probably, in a way he's saying, they're probably going to look down at your youthfulness because humans are mean. And they're often lacking in grace. But instead of focusing on that and being hurt by that, I want you to live a life that is an example and they will see these things goes on and give him some help. Here's one of the things you can do, young Timothy. Until I come, give it attention to the public reading of the scriptures. Well, why is that important? Because that's the pure exhortation of God. If a young man has nothing to say, but he can stand in front of them and say, thus says the Lord, and he begins to read God's word. That's pretty powerful. And right there, they would recognize that this man trusts God's word. He puts his life and authority under the word of God, and he sees how important that is for daily life. Read it publicly. And then he says, to exhortation and teaching, not only read it, exhort it. Preach the word in season and out of season, he tells them in the second letter. Preach the word. That's what will get their attention. You want to tell stories and kind of comb the sheep and make them feel good and try to convince them you're a great guy? That's not going to work. Teach them God's word, and they'll follow you. That's what he tells them, verse 14. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. 
God's gifted you. Timothy was gifted. He had gifts to serve in this role. And notice which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterances with the laying on of hands by the Presbyterian. Meaning, they said, we believe God has called this man. Elders, leaders of the church laid hands on this man recognizing what God had done. And so he goes on and says, Timothy, take great pains with these things. Be absorbed with them. Be consumed with them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself, Timothy, and your teaching. Persevere in these things. Keep running day after day. Wake up. Start again with your relationship with Jesus. Start again with your relationship with his word. Love, love those that are you're sent to. For in doing this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Now, on top of that, Timothy had some physical struggles. We know he was a little bit sickly at times. Paul later tells him, hey, you know, take a little wine uh, to try to kill the bugs that, that were in him. If you do any research on the first century in, in many places, even today, uh, you can't drink the water. And that water often created problems. And so now you have a guy who's a, a little bit timid. And we know that in First Timothy, excuse me, Second Timothy chapter 1, the Bible says that he was a struggled with timidity, right? I am I, I, for I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, Timothy. You got it from your grandmother and your mother, right? He talks about there. For this reason, I want to kindle in you afresh this gift of God. He's gifted you. And then he goes on to say, for God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. He reminds them, hey, I, I know this is your, you, you want to kind of fall back, then this is who you are, but God is greater than who you are. You say, Scott, are you, how to, how do I get used? <laughs> I told Sean, like, Friday, I said, Sean, you're coming up on stage with me. What? <laughs> a lot of people don't want to get up here. I don't want to be up here half the time. I, I, I love being with people, but you get up here and you go, you go you're going to do one thing or another. You're going to make this about yourself or you're going to make this about the Word. And there can be a very intimidating factor when you serve the Lord. But Paul says, listen, Timothy, God did not give you that spirit. That's, that's, that's from the fall. That's, that's, that's the problem with us. That's our minds and consumed with what people think of us. What God has given you is power and authority in the word of God. And you've been, you've been entrusted with that. Go and teach. And so young Timothy is being strongly encouraged to step out of himself and serve the Lord. Now, there's also a history of the Corinth with their lack of love and unkindness towards Paul. Paul actually recorded what they said about him. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 10 says this. His personal presence, he's, he's recording what they said, word for word. They said this, his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. Now, Timothy, I want you to go meet these people. <laughs> I mean, he knows this, right? So, so this is the reason why Paul is reminding uh, these, these church with imperatives, you do not cause my young worker in the Lord to be there out of fear. You're to treat him with care. It would be very easy for the Corinthians to say, Paul's not coming? They're sending this kid? This 20-year-old? Ah, we'll work him over. And that's what they would do. The churches would do that. Churches still do that to today. But he was, he was the representative. He was the one God sent. 
And they were not to be ignorant of that. They were to understand that Timothy, though he was maybe not an imposing figure, maybe like some of the others, like maybe Apollos, he was not to be pushed around. And, they, and, and so Paul does not hesitate to give this imperative. Look, if you treat him poorly, you treat me poorly. Receive him. Now, notice the phrase there in the end of verse 10. He says, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. Now, Paul gives them the reason why you treat him right. Right? This is the reason why you treat a Timothy well. He's here doing the work just like I am. And isn't that fascinating? Just looking at that text, look what jumps out of this. Paul is saying he is equal. He has equal authority. He's equal in me. He's doing the Lord's work just like I'm doing. Paul doesn't say he's my number two guy. He's, you know, he's, there's me and then there's him. He says, he says it in equality. It's a statement of equality. He's doing the Lord's work just like I'm doing the Lord's work. Receive him. This is such an important thing. When we commissioned David and Pam Mills to go to community Bible church, Baptist church in Barnell to help them, we sent them with full honor. He, they are there serving. Quite frankly, they may not be coming back because they are, they are engaged with that congregation. And talking to Pastor Andrew, they say, he said, man, they have come, and they came fully serving, laying their lives down to serve with us here at Community Baptist. We sent them with full authority, just as though I would send myself or someone else, they, we sent them. So he does not place, what I love about Paul, he does not place his work above his co-workers. I think that's such an important thing. One of the things you hear us say all the time is, is, look, this is what God's called me to do. What has he called you to do? This is not a greater role. It's a different role. We see that in the relationship between husbands and wives, men and women. We see that also in the ministry. We don't see greater roles within the ministry. Serving children and greeting and calling on the sick and fixing food for somebody and teaching people. All of those are a quality of serving the Lord. They're the Lord's workers. And I love what Paul does here because he doesn't put the emphasis on the guy in the pulpit or himself or the, or the apostles. He takes one who is underneath apostles in a way, under authority, and says he's doing the same work we're doing. So listen, brother and sisters, if you go down the hall and you serve with children or you call on the six or you fix a meal for somebody or you clean a floor or you do something in the name of the Lord in this ministry here, we see you as a co-laborer with the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing less. Nothing less. Find your gift. Serve within it. And don't give me this that you don't have a gift because then you have to call the spirit a liar, right? The Spirit gives the gifts. You have it. It's whether you're going to do anything with it. Serve the Lord with us. Come into equality with us. I think Paul was always trying to help them understand these things. Look at verse 11 with me. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. Now, because Timothy is doing the work of the Lord, he shares in the same responsible responsibilities that all workers in the Lord share. And he is not to be despised or rejected here. Notice, if Timothy was rejected as the servant of the Lord, they in the same sense are rejecting him. That's how Paul, how much he's putting on this sent worker. If we send a missionary, 
overseas or we send a missionary to plant a church or do whatever, we are sending them with a full authority. And if they're rejected in one spot, they're rejecting the ministry of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, which would include us. You know, Jesus talks about this. If, you don't, if they don't accept you, knock the dust off your feet and move to the next one. Because they're not only rejecting you, they're rejecting me. That's how Christ puts it. And so here, he's telling them, don't despise him. And I think clearly Paul is concerned due to past experience with this church based on how he was treated. But I mean, what he's doing is, he, I think he's taking the principle of 1558 that you be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, and he's applying it to the sending and receiving of that work in the Lord. So Paul's reminding them, be always abounding in receiving the workers of the Lord or sending the workers of the Lord. I'm longing for the day when we send more missionaries out from this church, when we send church planners out. We're working on some of that. God's stirring in some of our men's lives. Things are starting to happen. But how are we going to be involved in that? That's going to take more effort. That's going to mean people filling in where they leave and, and so forth. Lots of things are going to happen there. Do we see the necessity of that? And are we willing to say this is extremely important to receive and send workers of the Lord? This month we're going to have missionaries in from all over the world the next month or so. How are we going to receive them? How are we going to speak with them and talk with them and encourage them? They are workers from the Lord being sent to us. The word despise is an interesting word. Um, it carries the idea of contempt. There's a contempt for the workers of the Lord from, from Corinth. Paul had suffered that himself, right? They, they didn't even like his voice. They didn't like who he was. He was just, his disposition was unimpressive to them. And so here he uses this word. I, I know what it is, Paul's saying. I know what it is to feel despised. Do not do this to him. Jesus often questioned the religious rulers why they would treat him with such contempt. Because they don't care who's sending them. Now, often servants of the Lord are met with rejection, right? We, we hear it all the time. They, they carry great news that person could ever want, and it's rejected. It happens to you. You may carry that gospel uh, message to somebody at your job. You may carry that to a family member and they slam the door on you. They don't want it. They actually insult you. We know this is part of what we do. But those of us who are Christians, we are to receive people who believe the same thing. And you know, you realize it's only the gospel changes our lives to be able to do that. Now notice the next phrase. But send him on his way in peace so that he may come to me. Well, the New Testament never records Timothy's arrival or reception at Corinth. We never have a passage that tells us how that went. And it seems like Timothy um, may have arrived uh, well after this first inspired letter had got there, which was probably good because the letter really rebuked them for their behavior. And, and it seems possible that Timothy was well received um, in the second letter. Now, as we study that, we, we realize that they, they repented of those things. But the instruction sent to him on his way, that's interesting, send him on his way is most likely, well, you receive them in, how will you send him out? It's one thing to take somebody into your church, oh, wow, great, more people, wait, let's serve the Lord, let's get bigger. How do you send somebody out? 
Do you, how do you care for them sending out? How do you meet their personal needs, whether that's food and water or, and finances and all those things? How are you going to send them out? He was concerned that they just wouldn't take, be takers. He was actually concerned that the Corinth church would actually be givers. And see, this has been a problem with them, right? They're not part of that great Macedonia gift that's going to Jerusalem. That They have... They have drugged their feet on that. They've been lazy to obey the Lord in the giving to the Lord. And so he's concerned, how are you going to send out? You seem to take well, but you don't send out well. And so he challenges them, send him on his way and do this in peace. I think Paul wants a harmonious relationship between his men that he has trained and himself with the churches. I love harmony, don't you? Do you love harmony in your marriage? When you're clicking together, you have harmony with your family. Well, those things sometimes can be difficult. Even if you're unequally yoked, those are difficult things. But in the church, there should be harmony here. And Paul's saying, send him on in peace. There should be harmony between you. You should be grateful to send him back with the message of what's taking place there. See, Paul did not want Timothy returning from war. He did not want Timothy caught up in these difficult problems. That letter was addressing those problems, and they were to repent of the way they were, and Timothy was to bring good news of peace. God's word had done its work in their lives. I know that Timothy would bring a firsthand report, and Paul was interested in that. Notice he says, for I expect him with the brethren. That's an interesting phrase here, as I got to think. It's very mission-oriented, right? These phrases display this deep interest that Paul has what's going on there. I ex- I, uh, for I expect him with the brethren. Paul's saying, I want to know what's going on. Send brethren with them. It may be some that are traveling back with him from there. Others had gone with him. We know about some. Uh, Aratus was, goes with him. He wants to hear what's happening in that church. Remember, there's no email. There's no text. There's you know, no FaceTime. There's no Zoom calls. Right? Everything is coming by word of mouth or by letter all traveling under very difficult circumstances, very dangerous places, Paul is longing to hear what's happening there. And it would be one thing for him to just get information from like a Chloe. We see that in chapter 1, I think verse 12 or so. But another thing to come from his right-hand man. How is the church doing? How did they receive that letter that was sent? How are they responding to the rebuke that must take place? I think... Timothy was desiring to get home, and Paul was desiring to hear what was going on. I, I love, now, you know, we have just incredible abilities uh, to FaceTime or to Zoom with missionaries or to pick up the phone in many places. Um, every week, I talk with our, some of our missionaries around the world. And it's just amazing. Hey, tell me about Church 4. Did you get the septic system in? Does, did the house get finished? Does a pastor actually have a roof over his house, over his head? I can hear that right away. It doesn't take a letter that got put on a boat that came across, you know, the Atlantic and six months later it may or may not made it. We live in an amazing times. So we have to think about these men. All they've heard is some things coming out from further other members and people who have tra- traveled through there. They have questions that the Corinth church has written. They don't know how they're receiving these things. Paul's longing to know. Notice he says the brethren... Uh, this group, we don't know who it is. I, I, I read so much on this, nobody really could step out and really realize who this brethren were that he refers to at the end of verse 11. But we do know Timothy was accompanied by Erasmus, uh, Acts chapter 19, 
Um, and then there are someone who comes back with him. But notice in verse 17, look at verse 17. There, we'll see this in a little bit, we're introduced uh, in the next couple weeks to three characters. There, there are men that come from the Corinth church, we believe, Stephanus, Fortunus, and Archaicus. These men come from there. They're now with Paul. They're serving with Paul. And so it seems that not only is it Paul anticipating what's going on in the church, these men are anticipating what's happening there. How did the, I, I bet you one of the questions is, how did they receive that letter? First Corinthians is 15 chapters of rebuke. How did they receive that? Did they repent of it? Did those people who were trying to lead them astray, who were gotten into paganism and trying to bring it into church, those ones who had uh, desecrated and, and removed the truth of how a man and a woman uh, serve the Lord and, and their roles and all of those things, how, how they handle with lawsuits, how they handle immorality that was among them, all of these great truths that we worked our way through, how did they respond to it? I think these men, including Paul and others, wanted to know what was going on there? How were they going to do this? Last thought here. And we'll quit with this, verse 12. We'll come back and pick up those five imperatives next week. A spirit-led team of humble servants seeking the will of God. Look at verse 12. But a concerning Apollos, our brother. Now, this is fascinating. I encouraged him eagerly. I encouraged, excuse me, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren. That group that was going. And it was not at all his desire to come now. But he will come when he has opportunity. Well, clearly the goal was that the brethren would travel back and forth to Corinth, some with Timothy, who was on the way, and some would come back with him. But notice in this verse, look at this. It seems Paul strongly wanted Apollos to go on this trip. He wanted Apollos to get back to Corinth. And notice he says, I encouraged him greatly. And yet Apollos says, I'm not going. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Apollos would have come to know uh, Christ uh, under the effects of the ministry of Paul. Priscilla and Aquila straightened him out, most likely concerning the law and salvation by grace alone and faith alone through Christ alone. But Paul, Paul here says, I want him to come, but he didn't believe it was time. And so what's happening here? I think what Paul is doing is he's saying, listen, I will never usurp the work of the Spirit of God in someone who's walking with the Lord. I think Paul knew that. And I think Paul trusted Apollos that he was listening to the Spirit of God. See, to me that's fascinating. And, and, and I think there's several reasons maybe why Paul, Apollos wasn't going. These are just some of my thoughts. I thought about Apollos and thought about Corinthian church and Paul and that relationship. It was first there... He had, he had been there before. I think that's one of the reasons why Paul maybe would want him to go. He had been there. He doubtless had a great impact. Um, I think also maybe um, Paul was concerned that Timothy was a little timid. He was still learning to be a leader. And sending Apollos, a strong leader, might have been helpful. And then third, I, I think another reason was he's well known, right? There was Remember in the first chapter he says some are of Paul, some are of Cephas, some are of Apollos, some are of Christ. There was factions there. And so there was a group there that probably wanted him to come. But it's clear, when you look at this text, Paul was convinced the Lord was not sending him there at that moment. He was not going to go. <laughs> and I appreciate that. I think Paulus recognized that 
that maybe if I go, those factions that, that like me will rise up and it may create more problems. So he was willing to wait for the Lord to lead him. I think these are important things, and I think there's lessons that we learn from these. But whatever the case, Paul obviously respected Apollos' decision and, and his conviction. He, he says, he, he's not coming now, but even though it's my desire to send him, but he will come in time. And Paul knew that decision was between Paulus and God, and he waited on that. I, I, Gene and I have had those issues in our lives before, um, after 10 years living in Fort Bidwell in the very, very rural part of California, Nevada, and Oregon, there was time to move on. And the Lord was pulling in my heart after 20 years of ministry to go to seminary. I had never been. And, and that was hard. It was hard to tell a church that loved you and wanted you there uh, that the Lord was leading you to make that change. That was difficult. And some, some of the younger believers just couldn't understand it. It was so hard to try to say, but this is what God has for us. We believe that I need to go get more education. And, and so we are leaving. The church was in good shape, and we left it to its elders. That church is still doing great to this day. Praise the Lord. But then there was a time to come here. That was very interesting. After a number of years of, of taking a ministry that had all kinds of problems when we arrived in it, um, a fallen pastor, uh, lots of issues that happened there, um, time came for us to finally step out and go where the Lord was sending us. And Gene and I began to pray for a long time, Lord, where would you have us go? All these years we've gone where our mentors have told us to go. Go to this, plant a church here, go here, take this church, fix this, do that. We did that for many, many years, but now it was time to go. And what's interesting about that one is, and where I really make a connection here, is that my elders there said, we know, Scott. We knew God was calling you somewhere else. We didn't know when and where, but we knew he was training you here for something he had for you to do. And they together helped us find Riverbend Church. We, everything that was going back between the search committee and myself as we were working through all these questions and questions and questions, um, I kept running by them. And they kept helping me discern the will of God. What a blessing was to do that. And they said, look, Scott, the final decision is between you and the Lord. Where's God calling you? My elders say, where's God calling you? And they would warn me, do not go somewhere that you don't believe God's calling you. It'll be disastrous. <laughs> and I knew him that. It was so wonderful to have men who could, were concerned that I was right with God, that I was sensing the work of the Holy Spirit. He was, he was leading us through a, a plethora of churches that we were looking all across the world, actually, and that God was leading us here. And so when I read this, I thought, oh, Lord, thank you. This is a great reminder. Paul knew enough that he would not interfere with the work of the Lord. Now notice in the last phrase he says, but he will come when he has opportunity. I think the idea of sending Apollos to Corinth was not bad or sinful on Paul's part. It just wasn't God's timing. And Paul knew enough to back off. He said, let's wait. The Lord is going to send him there in time. The opportunity will come. And Apollos will go there and he will minister and he will encourage them. But that's the way Paul thought. He allowed men to be led by the Spirit of God. He didn't usurp that authority. And there's such freedom when we do that. One of the things we elders do, and we're continuing to grow and understand, we're not perfect in any way, but one of the things we try to do is we have a division of labor among our elders. 
certain ministries fall on certain ones. It uses particularly to our giftedness in most cases. And, and so we serve the Lord with our giftedness. And, and as we talk about the issues that have to happen um, each and every week at our elders meeting, we charge each other with these jobs to do. And then and we go and do it. And there's a freedom of that. And so we have men who spread out this weight. And when you believe people are called to ministry and they have the character, they have the calling, they have the qualifications, and they're above reproach, let them run. Let them run. Let them run unhindered. And I watched Paul do that with Timothy and Apollos and others. It's a beautiful thing to have a team of people that are from the Lord. They're right with the Lord. They're humble and contrite. They're sensitive to the Spirit's leading and they're learning. They're willing to say, hey, we're wrong in this area. We're learning. And yet they pursue Christ. They keep running after Christ. Those are the men that I want to go win the world with. Well, in closing, what ministry are you sent to? I don't think there's a ministry of just holding down the particular pew that you sit in or chair. I, I didn't find that one in the scriptures. I can keep looking, but I'm not sure it's there. What ministry are you sent to? Where would we lay hands on you in a sense and say, wow, you are uniquely gifted to go serve the Lord in this area? So I think one of the problems with American church is we become hearers only and not doers. And so we allow super pastors and very gifted people to do all the work while people who God is calling sit and listen all the time. See, Paul was always engaging. When you look at the long list of names at every letter, it is men and women serving with him. And you know what? Some of them even have problems, and sometimes those leaders make mistakes. And he reaches out and says, hey, these people love the gospel. They've helped me greatly. They're having a struggle. Help them. But they're serving. They're serving. And that's, that's what was supposed to be. And I think this is where the American church has lost its way. We put on the best music performances. We get the greatest, handsomest, great guys who are just, can, are just oratorical perfectionists, the way they speak, and they're funny, and they do all those things, and the people sit. And we hire everybody to do everything else, from lawns to children to music. Even There's musicians that are hired just to play on Sundays that don't even turn churches. So this is where we've gone. And meanwhile, the church becomes lazy, and they become susceptible to all kinds of things. So what ministry have you been sent to? Have you been sent to the sick? Have you been sent to the children? Have you been sent to the youth? Have you been sent to the front door to greet people? Have you been sent to the prayer room to pray for the church? Where have you been sent? Are you running? Or have you given up? There's so many questions to think about this. Otherwise, we just become the church that just is, it's got a talking head. It's a few people that do everything. And it's not a body of Christ with arms and legs and mouth and ears and toes and knees and all running in one accord, running together after the things of the Lord. And listen, I I told you when I came, I want to win the world for Christ. That has not changed. But I can't do it without you. I want it to find a group of people who want the same thing. Do you want to win the world for Christ? Throw your hat in. 
Ask yourself when you go home from here, where am I serving the Lord? You may have a good answer. You may say, hey, all I have right now, I've, I'm broken physically and financially, whatever it is, and all I can do is pray. That might be true, but I bet you can do more. I bet you there's something the Lord wants you to do. Can you figure that out with him? If you're right with him, if you confess your sins and you walk with the Lord, his spirit will lead you to how you're going to serve him. I know there's rumors sometimes because people see families and people who get to sit down by us and hang out with us. Well, let me tell you, you hang out with us, you're going to (laughs) work. And you can ask people who hang out with us. They work. They're all involved in ministry. It's all involved in ministry. What are you doing? Lord shows up today. Do you have anything to say? Here's what I've done for you, Lord. Not because I had to, but because I got to you. Save me from my sins, and so I've served you with all my might. Here it is. I know some of you are tired. Some of you are beat up. Some of you are frustrated. Don't give up. Stay in this thing. The word is right. Christ is who he said he is. He did what he said he did. And he's coming back. And your wicks will be trimmed and your lamps will be full of oil or you will be run out and down at the store when he shows up. Which will you be? Father, thank you for this probably often overread or underread passage of Scripture. We get to the end of the book sometimes and we read a little faster. But here we find a list of men, particularly in this case, men who are being sent, they're being received, they're carrying the great message of the gospel. They're laying down their lives to see the gospel go forward. And Lord, we have to ask the question, are we, will we be in the end of one of these letters? Will we be the prayer warriors, the ones taking care of the children, the ones feeding some of these workers, the ones counseling and ministering to broken souls and broken hearts, the ones greeting and loving on people and making them feel welcome? Where, where are we in the end of this letter, Lord, called Riverbend? Where are we? And Lord, I pray that you would cause us to be engaged. Lord, help us to forgive when failures happen around us. Help us do whatever we can to help pick up pieces and move forward, Lord. Life is short. You're coming soon. And so, Lord, help us run together as a church that loves Christ, loves His Word, and loves His people. We want to win the world for Christ with you, Jesus. We don't want to sit on the sideline. We don't want others to do what we could be doing. So, Lord, cause us to run together for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.